Welcome back. It's episode 49 of Campbell Conversations with your host, Colin Campbell, and a massive Happy New Year to everyone listening to the podcast. Let's start 2021 strong, and today we are going to be talking about how to gain confidence. To do so, we are joined by Dr. Aziz Gazapura, who is the world's leading confidence expert and the founder of the Centre for Social Confidence. Now, you may laugh or you may not, but this was recorded several weeks back when I was suffering from COVID-19, albeit unknowingly at that point because I hadn't had my test result back. Hopefully, you don't mind the slightly nasal tones in my voice because it will be outweighed by the value that you get from Dr. Aziz and the discussions that we cover. Dr. Aziz typically teaches people to learn confidence across a lot of areas of their life, helping them to eliminate self-doubt, master conversations, accelerating our careers and create deeper, more fulfilled relationships. All of this can be done, and I certainly believe this, from improving our confidence. We also explore a little bit around how social anxiety can hold back our careers and relationships and how that sits in direct contrast to the ability to be a more confident individual. I think all of us can be more confident while clearly staying away from arrogance, but that's certainly a sliding scale that many of us probably fall closer towards the social anxious side than the confidence side in some social situations or even career situations. Before we dive into this episode, I'm going to continue to flog the fact that I would love you to share this episode with somebody that might need to hear it and help us grow the audience here at Canberra Conversations. We're building a fantastic community. I massively appreciate all the messages and shares that we're getting on Instagram, but we also know that dropping into a group chat or pinging it to a friend on iMessage or text or WhatsApp is another great way to get the message out. Let's keep growing this community. I have some more fantastic guests coming soon, and we're almost at episode 50. Now, let's dive into this one. Enjoy. Welcome back, folks, to another episode of Canberra Conversations, and apologies in advance for a slightly more nasal-sounding host this evening, but I had to jump on this opportunity. This is a guest I booked three months back, and I'm extremely excited to speak to tonight. I'm joined by Dr. Aziz Gazapura, clinical psychologist and founder of the Centre for Social Confidence. Dr. Aziz, welcome to the podcast. I'm glad to be here, Colin. I'm glad you're powering through, even though you're a little under the weather, and excited to talk about confidence and all that it relates to. Of course. So for the listeners that haven't heard of you before or been fortunate enough to find your stuff, I, I stumbled across your YouTube channel probably about three or four months ago when I was Googling and searching key terms that resonate both with myself, but also with the vast majority of people that listen to this. And confidence is a, is a key one in so many areas that we've discussed in the podcast previously. But I guess, can you give us a little bit of a background on who you are, where you've come from and how you've ended up in your current position? Sure. I mean, so uh, I am an expert on confidence. And if you ever want to know why someone becomes an expert on something, it's because there was a point in their life where they desperately wanted it and felt like they had none of it. And that was my case. Uh, I struggled with confidence for many years. And people aren't aware, but uh, low confidence can show up in many different ways. One is straight up like, oh, social anxiety. I'm scared to talk to that person. I'm scared to be seen. I'm scared to speak up. I'm scared to put myself out there. And I definitely experienced all of that. It also shows up, though, in other ways. Like if I'm not feeling good about myself, maybe I'm going to 
strive like crazy. I'm going to come up with a strategy. If I can just achieve enough, and that shows up in fitness too, right? I mean, that's body image and, and confidence go hand in hand. So it's like, oh, I'm not confident. I'm not desirable enough. Maybe I'm not attractive enough. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to focus on this thing and get really good at it, whether it's fitness or for me. <laughs> when I was young, I was like, if I just learn how to play the guitar, then I'll become amazingly attractive to women because I wanted to date at that time and I wasn't much. But, uh, you know, that's not, it can give us a little confidence to be more fit and to play the guitar or something, but it's not going to automatically solve that challenge because the challenge is how we see ourselves. And I saw myself as less than and inadequate and uh, less than other men, not worthy of women, all that for many, many years of my life. And then there was a point where I was reaching a, a breaking point of like, I can't go on like this. And I started to study confidence and then it led down, you know, a journey into clinical psychology. And now I do coaching and training and I'm an author. And it just became this, uh, this beautiful obsession of not just how can I continually increase my own confidence, but how can I help as many people as possible do that as well? Yeah, it's, it's funny you say that as an expert now, quite often many people who accomplish that status were somebody that was striving for that or desperate for that at a, a previous period in their life. And it took them that kind of want and desire to work all the way up to that expert level, not just an area of competence and acceptance, but an area beyond that where you now help onto others. And many of the listeners will maybe resonate with that from a, a fitness perspective, maybe becoming mm -hmm. coaches or personal trainers. And then equally many people in business will recognize that in terms of maybe going on to mentor others in business once they've founded and, and, and pushed on with their own. Equally, one of the points you raised there about body confidence, I think, is a is a huge point for many of us. And if if only I was a little bit leaner or a little bit more muscular or a little bit more strong, whatever the metric we're using is, then I'll be happy. Then I'll be confident. Then I'll reach that. And as many people listening will know, and I'm sure you'll reinforce for us, Dr. Aziz, that's quite simply not the case. It's not it's not as simple as hitting a particular metric and then we'll be satisfied and able to project our confidence. I love that you're bringing that up, Colin, because it, it's important to look at that because it's, we might take a step back and be like, oh yeah, that doesn't work, but we're doing it. And, and it's kind of a, it's, it sucks us in. It's, it's, it seems like it's going, it seems so convincing that it's going to work this time. You know, it's the same thing with like uh, consumerism, right? Like I'm, I'm incomplete, but when I get that next phone, yeah, yeah. You know, and we kind of buy into it temporarily. And I think it can be really helpful to start to unplug from that, to just look at, okay, when does it actually produce the fulfillment that we're looking for, or the confidence that we're looking for? And often we have this goal, this vision, and when we perceive that we're moving towards it, we'll feel more confident. And when we perceive that we're moving away, and then when we actually hit it, if we ever do, depending on how high your standard is, there's actually often not that much juice, fulfillment, and confidence because what happens is we have a striving approach to self-worth. I'm going to achieve X and then I'll be worthy. And that doesn't go away when you've achieved X because as soon as you get to X, hey, look, now there's Y. Hey, look, now there's Z. And, the, and if we're in it, fully in it, it's very convincing that no, why is the next standard and I'm going to hit it. And, and it fulfills a part of us that feels like, oh, I'm taking those steps. I'm going to get there. I'm going to get there. And we want to take a step back and say, hmm, has it worked so far? 
how many things have you achieved and accomplished and then just immediately discounted or ignored and moved on to the next thing like okay and eventually eventually when we really study it and see that it's not working and get tired of that that flavor of suffering then we'll be ready to say okay what's actually going to work better what is true confidence what is unconditional and sustainable confidence and that's what i'm fascinated in yeah and i think that's a topic that i'm really looking forward to diving in with you equally i think there's elements of that mindset that we've explained there about when you hit x you still want y is extremely healthy but not to base our self-worth and our confidence and it's always like many of the listeners like myself are extremely aspirational but like you say when you base i will be confident when i achieve x y or z whatever we get to in the alphabet depending on how how <laughs> what our milestones are it's it, that's not a healthy position for us to be in whereas i suspect in perhaps other areas of life it is a healthy mindset to have perhaps for financial goals or whatever when it comes to actually hitting certain metrics to buy particular things or whatever but we've again spoken about consumerism we're not basing our confidence in things that we can afford either it's just a case of much much deeper than that and i, I suppose that opens up to what kind of research did you stumble across and, and where did it lead you yeah well about that point i think people might hear what we're talking about and say oh i, I guess i shouldn't strive for things or i shouldn't have goal I and mean, that's we can flip to the other side right it's either like i'm incomplete and i need this to feel good and confident or ah, well nothing's going to do anything anyway and it's it's not i think growth is a necessary way of living to feel fully alive, to feel confident, to feel tired. If you're not growing in a certain area, I mean, you could take a little break or something, but if you're not growing, there's a sense of stagnation. There's a sense of lack of fulfillment. And this has nothing to do with our worthiness. This is just like, look outside. Like the plants want to grow. The trees want to grow. The human spirit wants to grow. And so if we don't fulfill that, usually out of fear, right? Like, oh, I don't want to take the risk. I don't want to try. I don't want to fail. Then we're going to suffer. So we do want to grow. But we want to separate growth from that sense of significance or worthiness. And it's like, it's, those are two separate things. And so if it's like, well, if I hit this, then I'll be worthy. That's the part we want to, it's like, no, I'm going to continuously grow. And, and that like my, how many of my ab muscles you see is not going to alter my value as a human. Yeah. And here's the other part. It actually doesn't significantly alter we'll often link it to how attractive we think uh, people will see us and all the benefits that will come from that. And, you know, you, you could make a basic case for like someone who's more fit and healthy is going to be perceived as more attractive to people than someone who's not taking care of themselves. You could definitely make that case. But when you get into like, is their body fat percentage, you know, 14% or 10%, it's probably not going to make any difference to, to like 98% of people. There might be 2% of people who are like, that's what I want. I want that, you know, and, and if that's your jam and you both want that, then you can be fulfilled in that together. But I think it's really helpful for people to see that. Um, and, and I know as, as we're talking about this, I bet, you know, people that are listening can just look at their own experience and be like, oh yeah, that, that has been true for me as well. Yeah, that, that detachment piece of your worth from particular accomplishments is is a message that I'm really glad you've you've hit on already. So we've had a couple of mic drops before we even really got started. And I guess when you're speaking there about what I would call the kind of diminishing returns once you get to a particular area in your fitness, so it could be it could be in another area of life as well, there is an area of diminishing returns in terms of the 
level of attractiveness you might have to the opposite sex or the same sex, depending on um, what your preference is. And once you reach that, an extra 2% body fat less or an extra vein in your arm or whatever you're, you're going for, an extra inch in your quads, it's not going to make the difference that you might think it might to your confidence. There's got to be so much more to it. And I guess that's what we're really going to go into in terms of how people can work on their confidence and, and what you found from a period of social anxiety in your own life. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, that period of social anxiety drove me, created a hunger to want to be free and to want to figure it out. And so, you know, what I, what I first came across was some basic principles of exposure therapy, really, which is, okay, you're scared, you're avoiding the thing you're scared of, this, the fear is going to continue to be there, if not grow. And so at some point, you know, if and the, the thing I was most scared of and most wanted was I didn't really have a girlfriend of my own choosing. I, I dated two women throughout my entire, from age, you know, whatever, 11 to 20, 21. I did two women in those 10 years and both of them approached me and it was like three weeks of dating. And then I freaked out and didn't want to sustain that. So I was like, okay, I want to be able to connect with women. I want to be able to ask women out. I want to be able to get dates. I want to live in this area of my life. But I was utterly terrified of that rejection, just uh, to the point where I would ne never really risk anything. And so when I first, when I really reached that like rock bottom point of like, I can't live like this, it began like, okay, what's the way out? And it was like, well, you got to start experimenting, start testing, start practicing. And so I did. And that is where the obsession began, I'd say, because it was like, wait a minute, I can, the stories I tell myself in my head are not true. Like I, I can do something that I thought I couldn't. I can get a different response than I anticipated. It might seem kind of obvious, especially probably your audience is listening to personal growth and all that stuff. But you know, to me, it was earth shattering. And all of a sudden I, I started to challenge my, my, the stories in my head, primarily through bold action and started to get different results, starting with positive responses and, and dating. And then it became like, wait a minute, where does this you know, process apply everywhere? So I was scared of public speaking. And I thought, well, why don't I just start, you know, stepping into public speaking? And I was scared to speak up in groups. And I just started to apply that. And it's actually kicked, it kicked off something that has not stopped, you know, in the last 18 years of just like continuously, like, where's that edge? Where's that discomfort? And if I go towards it, I get stronger. And this seems, um, and, and you see this obviously in fitness, right? You know, it's like if you, you go work out and you're like, I don't want to feel uncomfortable at all during my workout, you're probably not going to grow very much. And it's the same thing with confidence. Like I often say confidence is a muscle and we can build that through repetition reps of doing what makes us uncomfortable. Yeah, I hugely resonate with that point because you've mentioned leaning into discomfort and that is where you can call it the growth zone or outside the comfort zone, whatever term you want to use. That is where you developed confidence by doing things that terrified you and realizing that perhaps they aren't as scary or perhaps I can get better at this and I will get better at this and I am getting better at this up into a stage where you were like, well, actually, I'm quite good at this. And you did that in dating, then into public speaking. And like you say, it's never really stopped that kind of continuous quest for growth. And you are right. Many of the audience that tune into a podcast like this will be very much passionate about growth. But equally, I know from, from experience, there's areas where I have a lot of confidence within my areas of competence, so to speak. So 
if you invited me to go for a gym session, obviously I'll go in any gym in the world, confident as anything, knock out a session with you across multiple different types of training, very comfortable with that. But if somebody asked me to play a game of tennis or uh, a game of American football or whatever, I would be like a fish out of water because I'm, I'm not used to it. I'd be much more nervous. My confidence level in my ability to perform or be acceptable in that is very, very low. And then in business, um, I work in the risk and insurance sector. If you want to talk about risk and insurance, more than happy to. But if you want to talk about accounting or finances or uh, cash flow, there's maybe areas I could contribute, but my confidence would be significantly lower to deliver that. So I think many people resonate with confidence in areas that you have stress tested and experienced, mm. but those areas that we haven't lent into previously and maybe have chosen to actively avoid, like dating when you were younger, we are far less confident and we are much more likely to have social anxiety about that particular situation. Yeah. And, you know, many people, you know, I would often say life is a choose your own adventure. And what my goal for people is to just choose consciously. I don't, you can choose what you want. I don't have an agenda for how you want to live your life, but I would, what my goal would be for you and for all of us to be able to choose from a place of possibility and options and capability and not, well, I can't do that. And I'm not good enough for that. And that's the low confidence side. But what a lot of people will choose often unconsciously is to say, well, Hey, I feel confident when I'm talking about this or doing that, but I don't feel confident when I'm doing this other thing. So let me stick to where I feel comfortable and confident, which, I mean, there's nothing wrong with, you know, strengthening your strengths, but often we miss out on huge aspects of our life because we don't want to be a beginner because the problem is not that we're not good at something. So there's, there's confidence that comes from competence, right? You can call that verified confidence. Like I know what I'm doing. I got this. Then there's the, uh, you, come, you can come into a new situation and you can actually still be confident. But the confidence isn't coming from like, I got this. The confidence can come from, you know, I can learn. But more importantly, the confidence comes from this. It's okay for me to not know this and not be good at this. And most people, unfortunately, have a story in there that says it's not okay. It's embarrassing. It's shameful. It's wrong. And so other people are going to put it out onto others. Other people would think I'm a loser or I just feel ashamed and embarrassed. And so that feeling, that particular flavor of discomfort is so uncomfortable for most people that they'll just steer their life. And it's not even that conscious. It's just like, no, I'll pass on that. No, no, thanks. I'm doing this instead. I'm too busy. And it's just dancing through and then they miss out. And this becomes real problematic when it's say something like creating and we talked about dating. How about creating an extraordinary relationship? There are, mo there are skills you need to learn. There are conversations you need to have. There are things you need to do to create a deep, fulfilling relationship that gets better and better every year that you're going to be a beginner at. Unless you grew up in a household where everyone was like, let's talk about our feelings and be open and expressive. And some people have that. Most people I talked to didn't. So we got to learn that. And we got to be beginners and we got to be messy. And that's just one area of life. You talk about business, you know, we got to learn the finance and the accounting side to some degree or else we, we struggle and we live in fear and we give up our power to others. So we could go on and on, but I really would encourage everyone here to look at that tendency to stay in my lane and say, you know what, where could I expand that? And is it okay for me to not know, for me to be a beginner? and for me to, to learn something new.
Yeah, I, I mean, this is hitting me quite hard because at the start of the lockdown period when, and this would have been March in the UK, where we had gyms closed, you had to work from home, I lost elements of my identity in terms of the guy that goes to meetings in a suit and causes big deals, the guy that goes to the gym and rips it up and looks shredded. And that was taken away because I was now doing everything over Zoom uh, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a t-shirt and shorts. <laughs> yeah. I, was, I, was, I, was, I was doing workouts in my living room with a pair of dumbbells and some resistance bands. And life was very, very different. So I had to lean into other areas, so maybe slightly different types of fitness where I was much more humble about how confident I was to be successful in that space. And I think throughout that period, I think many of us learned to lean into other areas that we perhaps didn't already have competence in and that whole phrase that you've used there about not being afraid to be a beginner is something that I've certainly tried to implement much more so and that's been evident probably mostly through some of the books I've read one of yours in particular not nice and starting to gratitude journal which if you told me I would be doing that maybe even two years ago I would have laughed in your face and thought why would I need to gratitude journal or I wouldn't be training a particular kind of way in terms of my fitness or I wouldn't be conducting myself in a particular kind of way socially and leaning into things that we're not already an expert in and not always saying no, which I was so guilty of in the past and filtering things based on, and you've used the term as well, competence was, was, was huge. In terms of dating and relationships, and that's a, a big thing that you've mentioned. What kind of things did you do to grow your competence? I know you said you exposed yourself to more situations, but what did those look like? Yeah, I mean, that's a that's a big one. Uh, I think it's a big one for a lot of men. A lot of men kind of do, okay, with fitness, right? You can, there's sort of like different ways you can approach it. Some people it's like, okay, I want to be really fit, but what's like the least I can do to get those results, you know? And when you, I'm sure you, you talk to people like that and you're kind of like, okay, you're, you're probably already doomed, right? Because <laughs> it's like, there's, they're, they're trying to get the result with the, the minimum amount of effort as opposed to like, okay, here's my goal. Like, what is the actual path? What does it really take to create that? And then those people are going to have much more success, right? Cause they're willing to do what it takes. Same thing applies for dating and relationships and confidence in this area. And I think uh, most people, particularly men don't develop that confidence. Cause they're like, what's the least I could do to just get a girlfriend or get some dates or, you know, and, um, or even now, especially, over the last, you know, 10 years or something, the proliferation of apps and ways to make meeting people more easy. It's kind of like, well, I don't have to like go approach someone and I can just the app and it's easier. And, and, and that's beautiful in some ways, but there's a downside to that, which is there's a level of confidence that we can develop through rejection tolerance, through practice, through exposure, through okay, let me be myself with this person and see how it goes. Let me, let me try behaving in a slightly different way than my normal, nice, pleasing self and see if I can create some more chemistry here. Like all these things that we can test out. And that's like the equivalent of going to the gym. And so when I first started studying this and then it progressed from there, it was like, you know, I, I learned things. I studied different, it's like it would fall into the dating advice category, I'd say. Some of it I think was really good. Some of it is kind of more manipulative stuff from like, pickup artist world that I think ultimately I moved away from because I'm much more interested in like authentic connection. Uh, but the core of it was like, and even one of the teachers I listened to said, you'll learn way more 
in like 10 interactions with women than I could teach you in 10 hours of training. Like it doesn't matter how much book knowledge you have. It's just like how, you know, so it, I got that and I started to listen to stuff and then practice. And uh, that's in all the stuff I teach, all the courses I run, the programs, it's all about, okay, here's an interesting insight. Now, how do we turn that into consistent action? Because that's what's going to produce the transformation. So the simplest answer is to get into more contact and conversation, but not just necessarily contact and conversation. That's you being the same pattern that you've run forever that you know is safe or it's like it's you testing things out. How do I really want to be? How, you know, uh, and, then you know, maybe sometimes it's diagnosing problems, too. There's different problems. Am I scared to talk to a woman? Let's just say it's a man interested in a woman. It could be the other way around, right? And vice versa, all that stuff. But am I, am I scared to talk to the person I'm attracted to? Um, or do I do it, but I'm like, I'm only showing like a tiny fraction of what I think they want? Um, or do we go on a date, but then they don't seem that interested? Or do I go on dates and they're interested in me and I want nothing to do with them? Like you got to kind of see what is the 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 particular problem that you keep coming against and then there's there's always a solution to it every problem has a solution it's just a matter of figuring out what it is and usually the solution is there's something that we're afraid of that we're avoiding and the answer is always to go into that fear which is like so not what our nervous system wants to do so that's where we need to train ourselves we need just like you train yourself with the weights in the gyms like you train yourself to say discomfort so a a thing that all that uh, that i repeat and can't to myself every day is I live a life of adventure. And that has a special meaning to me because I think of adventure. I think of, it's not about comfort. It's about new experiences, excitement, challenge. It's not an adventure unless something goes wrong and it's hard and it tests you, but then you fucking break through. Uh, I'm curse on your show. You, we freaking break through and we feel that much more powerful. We feel that much more confident. So I want to live not just a moment of adventure, but I want to live a life of adventure and see things that way. And then the second thing I'll say to myself is discomfort, risk, challenge, bring it on. This is what I'm made for. And I'll, and I'll say that to myself every day. I'll get into a state of like strength and certainty, you know, make it, get my body energized and I'll claim those things. And what that does is it primes me for the whole day so that when something comes my way and there's that tendency to go, it's like, all right, here we go. Here's the challenge for the day. Yep. And, and, and if people, the more people can link this to it's exactly like fitness, then we're going to strengthen that. And it applies definitely to dating and relationships too. Yeah, there's so, so much within that. And yes, you're, you're free to swear in the show. We, uh, we're very authentic here and we're going to talk about it. All right, <laughs> it just slipped out. <laughs> we're going to talk about authenticity. But again, that's important, isn't it? And when it comes to our confidence, actually being our, 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 real, our real self. And you mentioned reps, you mentioned exposure. It's all about that kind of time under tension in a real situation. And like you say, then you can work back and diagnose the different areas that are a challenge for you. Like you say, I laughed there when it came to that kind of fear of rejection. And one of the things you mentioned, which a lot of people find strange, is that you maybe date for a week or two, two weeks, three weeks, and then you pull back even if they're into it because you're scared maybe further down the line that they reject you. And I've, not to self-diagnose myself at all, but I've certainly um, felt that way in the past as well. And I think any of the females listening that maybe know me might, might laugh at that. But um, it's, 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 uh, it's certainly an interesting concept where, we're learning so much more about ourselves through action and experience rather than, like you say, theory and training. It's really important to get out there and actually experience things. 
in terms of moving forward with your kind of some of the the books that you've published not nice is all about exactly that not being nice and i guess that's a really unusual thing to say to people when our connotations of the word nice are so positive but how does it link with not being nice and being more confident yeah i love that so people hear that and they think does that mean you're saying be a jerk be inconsiderate be an asshole and i'll often say that the opposite of nice is not those things the opposite of nice is authenticity because nice people associate with like that's being kind that's being loving that's being generous and maybe but if you really study when like the moment to moment behavior of someone who's being nice usually it involves being polite not saying something that you know if you don't have anything nice to say don't say anything at all all those kinds of things and if you study it in yourself and other people and i you know i worked with like many many different clients and patients all these things and study it myself and i started to see wait a minute the people who are the nicest are suffering the most they're the most stressed out, the most anxious, the most self-attack, and they're anything but nice to themselves, and their confidence is shattered. So what's going on here? This strategy is not working, and that's because niceness, in most all cases that I've seen, is actually I'm going to mold myself to avoid tension or friction or disapproval between us, and so therefore I'm not going to be me I'm going to be what I think you want me to be to avoid that tension and discomfort. And that's problematic. That's problematic in dating and relationships. That's problematic in our work life. That's problematic with our families. Because when you're not being you, you will suffer. You, you're, like a, you're like a river. You have like a current, a way that life is meant to move through you on all levels, you know, where you're, where the river's meant to go in your, in your purpose in life and your career and your relationships and all that, but also moment to moment, how it's meant to flow, how you're meant to move your face and whether you're meant to curse or not, or laugh or what you're meant to wear, like all that stuff. Right. And, and if we're not, and it's not um, set in stone, it's like a river. We're constantly discovering new things about ourselves. But if we start to put up all these walls, like this barrier and that barrier and that barrier, now what gets through is a little trickle. And it feels bad and it makes you less attractive. That's how I discovered niceness firsthand. I didn't even know it at the time. But when I did work up the courage once in a blue moon to ask a woman out and I did get a date, uh, after the first date, she wouldn't be interested in me. And I attributed it to like, oh, I'm not muscular enough, right? I'm not attractive enough. Something's wrong with my physical appearance. And it wasn't that at all. It was that my energy, my life force, my, my attract, all that is behind all these walls and people don't even know they're doing it. And the way that it shows up for a lot of people is they say yes, when they want to say no, they're overly accommodating. They feel real guilty. If they say no, they're taking over responsibility for everyone's feelings. Oh my gosh, that person, oh, I said, oh, they're going to feel so bad. I hope I didn't upset them. And we ruminate about it. We feel guilty about it. We're anxious about it. We're afraid of direct conversations, something's bothering us. And we're like, oh, I'd, I'll, just, I'll just let it go. I'll just be tolerant and forgiving. And then it's still there though. And then our only option, because we can't speak up because I'm too nice. The only other option then is to start to distance from that person. Yeah. And, and so that often happens in dating and relationships. There's actually something and people will say, why after a couple dates, you know, it's going well. Well, there's, there's more, the first date or two is like two personas meeting usually. Then it's going to be like there's a little bit more of expressiveness of authenticity. And there's a part of us that can be afraid 
have this background story that says, if I'm fully me, bad stuff's going to happen. Yeah. It's just vague. It's bad. I'm going to get rejected. My life's going to fall apart. And so all of a sudden, here's this opportunity to get closer in dating. And it's like, ah, uh, no, no. And we might not even be conscious. We might say, oh, well, they didn't look a certain way. Or I didn't like the way they did that. You know, uh, the old show, it might be outdated at this point, called Seinfeld, was a classic example of this where Jerry Seinfeld is dating woman after woman after woman. And everything, it's always like, I didn't like the way she chewed. You know, she her hands were too big. or It's like all these little nitpicky things because there's this fear of, of really being yourself. And if you're going to date someone, you're going to get closer together, you're going to have a real relationship, you're going to start to be yourself. And if we're afraid of that, then we're going to avoid it. So that's another way that niceness can really trip up relationships. Yeah, I think when you speak about this persona that we put out there as this ultra nice person, this front that masks our authentic self, it's very hard to connect with somebody who isn't being them. Like you say, you could go yeah. on one or two dates and you kind of both, you're sounding each other out. We understand that. But the reason you maybe pull back is because you're worried about exposing that authentic you and that being rejected rather than this persona that you believe that somebody wants to hear or see this nice person. And I certainly know there's maybe like particular voices that you speak to people in when you're trying to be a nice person, you change your tone, you change your mannerisms, you hold yourself differently, your hands, your, your gestures are different, your posture. And mm -hmm. If you're not being yourself, you're not giving yourself the opportunity to meet somebody or engage with somebody, even in friendship, that actually knows you or gets you because you're, like you say, picking up this nice front that you think people want to see in here. But ultimately, you're only just kind of concealing the real you and the real opportunity for you to explore something further. Mm -hmm. And the primary reason for doing that and the reason that we sustain doing that for years even though it causes a lot of pain and suffering is fear of discomfort that's what it is and i'll see this again and again when i'm working with people and they're like okay all right that makes sense i'm suffering a lot so be be more real okay but here's the situation here's what's going on with this person or you don't understand in my workplace i can't do that and and they go right back into this story or they'll set up kind of a straw man argument like what you want me to go in there and just tell them all to shut up and I'm like, well, there, there's a big difference between suppressing yourself and being, you know, kind of, let's just call it real, like fake or false and being like unskillfully aggressive in your communication. Like there's a whole range in there that's actually really skillful, really connected. People, I think, don't see that either is you can be not nice and be way more connected and you can also show more more of you and and show like a wider range of thoughts feelings and perceptions than people realize like you can say to someone like hey i'm frustrated right now i'm, I'm feeling frustrated this isn't working for me and people are like oh no oh god you can't show irritation or upset and actually you can and so i call this um outdated models or maps of relationships yeah if i do blank bad stuff. You can't do that. You can't do that. You can't do that. And those are just old maps from when we were young, usually our family growing up. And, you know, it's time to upgrade those things. Um, we upgrade this thing every year or two and constantly upgrading the apps on there. Yeah. And yet our maps for relationships we got from, you know, when we were six years old watching mom and dad, and it's time to upgrade that. And the way that we upgrade that is we take in a new possibility. And what the possibility would be that when I express myself, uh, it can improve things. 
That's a new map, as opposed to like, well, if you express yourself, bad stuff's going to happen. It's a new map. And then, like any map, you, you get it, you look at it, you're like, okay, that seems pretty legit. And then you got to go drive it. You got to go test it. You know, because you can't just uh, d declare that the map is correct without actually seeing the terrain. So then you got to take this new map that says speaking up in this romantic relationship, in this workplace, whatever, can go well. Here I go. And then that's what that comes back to is discomfort tolerance. Maybe you're a beginner at it. Maybe you're not super smooth at it yet. Maybe it's going to be messy. Well, that's okay. Relationships between humans are messy. Life is messy. But on the other side of that messiness, all of a sudden you're going to have this surge of confidence. of like, hey, I can be me. You know? And even if it doesn't go perfectly, even if there's a little upset, you'll feel more powerful. Because now that river is flowing more through you. It's coming through. And, and that's the source of our confidence is if we can be in alignment with who we are and live as who we are, we will be confident. Not because we achieve something, not because we look a certain way, but because we're being our true selves. I'm glad that you raised elements of the, the workplace there as well, because there'll be many people that are maybe shouting down their AirPods just now saying, let's talk about confidence in work and ability to speak to senior management or other stakeholders. And I was extremely fortunate at my first job after university in a business development account management role, one of the key tenants of our kind of values was have difficult conversations. And that, yeah. was, all, that was all about both with customers, but also internally. And it was about raising challenges and being self-aware of how maybe some of these actions made you feel and then communicating that to try and work to a mutually agreeable situation. Don't get me wrong. Sometimes that meant that we didn't continue working with a particular client or a colleague didn't agree with our approach and it went up the chain to management to, to, to deal with what we did. But having difficult conversations in work is probably one of the most valuable skills that I learned at that age that I've now taken into the rest of my career in sales. And I wonder if you could speak to some of the ways that we can have difficult conversations in, in the same way that you've spoken about from a relationship perspective. But let's talk a little bit more about business. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think some framework or structure is helpful for people because if you say okay you spend your whole life or a long time avoiding this now just go in there and do it it's kind of like uh, okay you know the same thing with me back in dating is like if someone said just go talk to her i did have that i had friends in college like just go talk to her man and i was like uh, like say hi you know and it, it was only when i got that dating advice and some pickup lines but then the guy who was sharing them was like you know what like these are some training wheels for you if you want but as your confidence grows, you can just walk up to her and say anything. And that, and that became true for me. But so at first, you know, it's that competence thing. We want to get some structure. So what can be really helpful before any difficult conversation is to take a step back and say, what do I want here? Because oftentimes when we're frustrated, we're upset, so we don't like something, we're just so aware of what we don't like. You know, like they did this and they're disagreeable and they're making a mess. And it's like, if you go into the conversation and say, you're disagreeable, you're making a mess, you're blah, 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 it's probably not going to go that well, yeah. right? They're going to get defensive. And then you say, see, I guess I can't be real. And actually you can, you probably just got to be a little more skillful. So start with what is it that I want? What, what is the ultimate outcome of this situation? You know, do I want them to do, maybe it's what I want in the situation, what I hope they would do. Like, cause if you can go in with that outcome in mind, you're going to communicate very differently. And then really it's about just stepping off that ledge and saying, Hey, there's something I wanted to talk with you about. Yeah. And it's like, what's the structure? Well, it's kind of like, you know, what I'm hoping for is insert what you want. What I'm noticing is insert what you see. Ideally stripped away from as much 
judgment and blame as possible, right? So what I'm wanting is for us to get the sales process up and running as swiftly as possible. What I've noticed is that we, we, it seems like there's been this snag where we've stalled out on these three elements and it's unclear who is steering that ship. I notice how that's like, you try to describe what you see as opposed to you drop the ball, you're lazy, you, you guys are incompetent. That type of assertiveness might feel like, hey, I'm speaking up for myself. And I guess you are in a way, but just like you can go approach that person you're attracted to and be all, you know, this is how I'm going to do it. But you got to, you know, how, how effective is your approach? You might want to course correct if it's not very effective. So that's how we were. That's a basic uh, structure, though, for speaking up. Yeah, I think, I think that's an excellent structure. And I, for one, am still somebody that when I've got a particularly difficult, difficult call to a prospective client or somebody that we're, we're pitching for business, I will still have a couple of notes in front of me. And that's six or seven years into a business development career, which I'm, by my own admission, quite pleased with what I'm doing in. But there's still so much that I can learn. And having that structure in terms of how I deliver things in the right way with, like you say, removal of the kind of maybe emotive, um, confrontational language and putting in, like you say, what you're hoping to achieve, what your observations are, and then opening up to a more consultative conversation rather than uh, a direct criticism from the start, even though perhaps previous to you writing these things down as your structure, you were probably feeling hypercritical of that person, but you've mm -hmm. managed to frame it in such a way that you can deliver it in a, in a much better sense. I guess maybe an interesting thing to share with the the lessons that I've found in, in, in previous years is that there's maybe particular stakeholders, like particular customers that I'm more confident delivering difficult conversations with. And it's quite funny. It, it pretty much comes down to how much it's worth to the business. And it's, mm -hmm. and I had to really reframe how I thought about that. So for example, an account that pays a fee of 1 million pounds, I was more conservative and how I spoke to them and maybe a bit more nicey nice I changed my body language I was more passive than the account that pays us 10,000 pounds and it wouldn't be a disaster if we maybe had a confrontation and it didn't go as well whereas if it, if I spoke to the million pound account incorrectly it'd be a lot more of a, of a challenge and I guess I tried to reframe that I would make sure I have the same approach rather than going into my shell and being nice fake Colin I don't know if you can resonate with that yeah. or suggest something. Yeah. Well, and, and what we don't see in that moment, I mean, cause on, on the surface it might have some validity to it, right? Like, Hey, play it, play it safe with the big accounts and don't rock the boat. The downside is that we, we fail to see, it's kind of like, um, in, if we're afraid to take a risk, there is a cost to that. Same thing with like investing, right? If you're like, I don't want to invest in anything. I'll just keep all my cash in an account or under my mattress. Well, over five or 10 years, you've actually lost a chunk of money. You didn't, it doesn't look like it. You're like, it's the same amount in my account. But just earlier today uh, or yesterday, I was, I was reading a Dr. Seuss book to my kids last night. And there was something about like a, a cost of something was 10 cents. And they're like, 10 cents? That's nothing. And I was like, well, the book was written in the 1960s, like 10 cents in Amer American currency was a lot more in like, you know, 60, 70 years ago than it is now. And it's like, it's kind of invisible. We don't see it. It's the same thing with these big accounts. Like if you say, I want to play it safe, play it safe, no risk, no risk, no risk. There's actually a cost where you could lose that account because you haven't had the conversation you need to have. 
you haven't course corrected something, you haven't addressed something. And we, we get so focused on that moment of discomfort as if someone's going to be like, what? Well, then I'm done. You know, it could, it could. But even if someone gets upset, it's a part of a, you know, we're, we're connected and we're bonded with each other. So it gets pulled apart for a minute or a day, but then it comes back together and it's stronger. And there's more trust. And that's true in the business uh, context you're talking about. It's true in uh, friendships. That's also true in romantic relationships. Is And so another thing I talk about in Not Nice is upset is temporary. And if you can remember that, then we have a lot more courage to go in and have the conversations that we need to have. Yeah, that that's a fantastic reminder. Upset is temporary. And to reaffirm what you've said there, when I spoke to accounts and customers in the same way regardless of the size of fee or value that they had that was when I built the most in-depth strong relationships like you've said there when it came to being willing to have those conversations and develop a proper relationship whereas when I was my reserved fake self because you pay us an awful lot of money my relationship with them was very very shallow whereas the ones that were paying us less money and I was going back and forth with and it was open and honest and frank and we had a fantastic dialogue even though maybe sometimes we had to be um, very direct with one another about where we wanted to get to, that needed to be translated further up the line. I think that is a, a great reminder. And it, it's funny you're talking about inflation and currency. We've had a few episodes on on finances and Bitcoin and Forex and all sorts. So people are well aware of uh, the value of the, the dollar or the pound in our pocket going down and down and down in terms of what it can buy. I think one of the last areas I wanted to cover with you on, on this episode, Dr. Aziz, was around self-doubt because that links in with confidence, doesn't it? How can mm-hmm. we conquer or let go of self-doubt? Yeah, I think that's, a, that's, a, that's really the key question because self-doubt is the, the opposite of confidence. It's the antithesis to confidence. And there's so much we could cover. A few things I'll say about it. One is doubt is not bad in itself. You know, it's all about when and how much. (laughs) A little bit of doubt before you're going to like take that mystery powder from that person at the rave, you know, might be good. I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe it'd be fun to take it. That's a choose your own adventure, remember? But a little bit of doubt before you go into that business deal, you know, a little bit of doubt before you go out and buy a bunch of cryptocurrencies. (laughs) I was just checking that earlier today. Because I went crypto crazy about three years ago, yep. and it was there was a spike then too in Bitcoin and everything else was going up, and I was buying this and buying that and diversifying, and I and I and I kind of let it all just sit, and I looked at this spreadsheet that I have, and I looked at Bitcoin has gone up, you know, but every other coin is significantly down from what I bought, like pennies on the dollar, and I I, I went out and bought like twenty different you know, uh, cryptocurrencies. And I just laugh when I saw it. I was Because at the time, there was this urgency and this FOMO, like, this one, Ripple's going to be the next huge thing. And I was like, oh, i got to buy a bunch of Ripple, you know? <laughs> and so a little bit of doubt then may have been useful, but yeah. not always, right? Because then you, if you doubt too much, you don't take any risk. You don't go for it. So the question is, that how do you induce doubt? You question things. You say, are you sure? Are you sure that's a good idea? How do you know? And all of a sudden you're like, I, yes, I'm sure. I, well, I'm sort of sure. I, I think it's good. Stop asking me those questions, right? So we want to be able to turn that up or down. That's the issue. Doubt's not the problem. It's what most people are doing is their, their, their doubt-o-meter is 
clicked onto a high setting when it comes to things like their capability or even worse, their worth. Yeah. Am I good? So it comes down to starting to pay attention to the questions you're asking yourself and the frequency with which you're asking those questions. So if you're asking yourself the question, am I good enough? Can I do this? What if this goes poorly? Again, and again, it's about the questions, about the frequency. If you ask a poor quality question repeatedly, you're going to suffer and you're going to have tons of self-doubt. Can I really do this? Can, are you sure? How do you know? How do you know it's going to be good enough? Are you sure you're going to, you probably, and then also there's this uh, purpose to doubt, that excessive doubt, which is to try to minimize all risk. I call this, I talk about this in my book, The Art of Extraordinary Confidence, and I call that part of our psychology, the safety police. It wants total safety as defined by no pain, no emotional pain, no physical pain, no, no financial pain, nothing. And the way that you, according to the safety police, avoid all that pain is you just avoid all risks. Don't invest, don't ask the person out, don't speak up with those big accounts, just, just play it cool. Yep. And the problem is if you follow that, your life gets smaller and smaller and smaller and you end up getting a lot of pain. It's just compounds over time. So that voice, that safety police is, is runs this 24-7 doubt propaganda campaign to try to get you to stay small. So knowing that can be extremely liberating because then when you hear that voice and that question, you say, is this my safety police? Is this the part of me that's trying to avoid all risk? And if you're wondering how you start to eventually, when I work with clients, they just get really good at seeing it. But at first you might say, well, I don't know, where is it steering me? If I listen to what it said, where would it steer me? Don't ask that person out. Okay. Where is that steering me? Like, is it steering me towards like isolation and loneliness? <laughs> like, okay, that's yeah. probably not the voice I want to listen to. So it starts becoming a lot more aware of what those characters are in your mind, starting to be able to choose a lot more consciously which one you like follow, which one you put in the role of trusted advisor. And then do you have another part of you? I mean, yeah, you, you do, but it's all like, can you find and cultivate that other part of you that is whatever you want to call it, the risk taker. I talked about earlier about the life of adventure, like this adventure side of me. Like you got to have another side of you that is, that, is, that is willing to take the risk. And the more you can identify that part, then you can say, okay, thanks, safety police. Appreciate the input. We're all going to die. I, I hear you. Good, good. Uh, let's hear from the adventure. You know, and you can actually start to become the uh, arbiter of a discussion. You talk about a boardroom or something. I'll, I'll do this exercise with people. Okay, what does that character say? Okay, what does that character say? And what that does is we can take a step back and realize that that voice is not me. It's the voice of doubt. And the voice of doubt doesn't have to control you. One last thing I'll say about this. You can think of doubt like a bouncer at the side of a door who doesn't have, who can't physically stop you. All the bouncer can do is look intimidating and yell shit at you. Don't come in here. You can't, you're going to, it's, don't go in here. It's going to be terrible. It's going to be awful. You're not allowed. They're going to kick you out. So, you know, but the, they can't run. They can't clothesline you. They can't hit you. And when you really get that, that there's nothing actually stopping you, that instead of it being this uh, oppressive brick wall, it's like just a, a curtain that you can just push right through. Then you start to become really free and, and develop like, extraordinary levels of confidence.
that's such a striking analogy and such an easy way for us to picture our own internal dialogue. And one of the terms that we've maybe discussed in the podcast before is self-talk and how we speak to ourselves. Mm -hmm. And you've gone into a lot of that there when it comes to self-doubt, but also making sure that we have the key word used within that was an awareness of where are these voices coming from? What are they worried about? Where are they potentially leading me? Like you say, if you, if you refuse to ever ask to ask somebody out on a date, are they leading down your path to loneliness? If they refuse for you ever to speak up and work, are they leading you down a path to never progressing within your career or getting the promotion that you tell yourself that you want or the other voice tells you they want, the adventurer tells you that you want. Mm. And I think that self-awareness piece is absolutely massive and something that I think certainly has helped my confidence and that maybe reinforces that throughout this conversation that being more aware of who we are and how we speak to ourselves and the dialogue that we tell ourselves and the story that we tell ourselves is fundamental when it comes to confidence banishing the opposite confidence which is self-doubt and yeah I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation Dr. Aziz and I think the last thing to ask you is where's the best place for people to connect with you and I'll link it all in the show notes all right on yeah this has been a pleasure I love you you, you bring so much to this in the interview and obviously have studied this and practiced so much of this in your life that it's a, a blast to talk about uh, so I guess the best place to start would be my website, which is draziz.com, D-R-A-Z-I-Z.com. You can find my YouTube channel on there, uh, links to my podcast that I've been running for about five years as well. So just a wealth of free teaching that you can start to learn from. And then, of course, if people want to go further and dive into like an online course or even look into one of the coaching, I run group coaching programs. I do... Um, live events, which are all online at this point, online live events. So people from all over the world can attend. They're three days and um, they're powerful. People might not realize like, oh, what can you do on a screen? It's like, well, if you're there and you play full out, like we can radically upgrade these things, these mindsets. So there's a, as far as people want to go, but this is my mission. This is what I'm here to do. And, um, the, you know, my goal is to help people see through that illusion of doubt and fear and see the truth about who they are, which is that you are inherently worthy. You are capable. You are infinitely forgiven for anything for and forgivable and that you're here to, to do something. You're here to grow. You're here to contribute. You're here to speak up. You matter. And that's what I want to communicate to people on all levels in any different area of life. So they go to the website, they will start to get that message loud and clear. That will all be linked in the show notes below. And what a powerful message to end on. If you're listening at this point, please take a screenshot, pop it in your Instagram story, drop me a tag at call.cambro. And I cannot wait for your feedback on this one. I know it's going to have a massive impact. And I'll be back to speak to you all again very, very soon.